Okay, so starting out here, I have been some major pain for whatever reason for the last like two weeks. I've had a hard time like sitting down because of something. So my family, my dad, for the last like 15, 20 years, when we drive places, he has to stop for like two hours. It just hurts too much and like leg and uh, his, his butt region just does not deal well with things. And about three years ago, my sister apparently started having the exact same thing. God, that sucks for you guys. Well, like two weeks ago, the same type of thing started, and I was on a plane back and forth between here and London this week, and it was just, I was sitting next to people, I had, had to get, of course, like the seat right in the middle of everyone, so there's like three places you could be on, like the window or the outside, one, two, three, four, five, six, I didn't get any of those on either flight. So I was sitting up next to some guy, and I was moving in the most awkward ways, I was elbowing people, and I sat for like four hours like this, with this guy like right here next to me, and I was like sitting down, and you know, just <laughs> looking at it and getting up and walking around the plane. That was really, really nice. But um, basically, I say that because normally I would probably sit here and talk like I normally would kind of like half off the chair, but this doesn't feel very good. So I might just go like this back and forth during our time today. Um, it's really good to be with you guys today. Um, it's just fun to, like we've had a very, very busy fall, and uh, it's just good to be back. I'm the presence of our community and friends, and just get a chance to share a bit. And obviously, the chance to see uh, I actually did the talk last week on prayer it was very convicting for me personally, as is uh, what we'll be talking about today. Um, if you have your Bibles, that's how maybe we'll start this out. Uh, since I don't know if we're going to have it on the screen, we're going to be moving around a lot of scripture because that's kind of uh, what's going to inform most of this dialogue today. Um, but we're talking about evangelism. And when I was thinking about how to start this off, because a lot of people have a lot of different um, feelings on this word, um, words are made from it, they get pushed into political jargon and get, get pressed around in ways that don't always make people feel very comfortable or make some of us who have to bear some of those, those words very comfortable. So I wanted to start by just kind of defining what is evangelism. When I looked this up, I didn't have to, I could find some examples here in in scripture as well, but the, the basic definition um, from Eric Schmidt and our friends at Google is um, evangelism is the spreading of the good news by public persuasion or by personal witness. And I think it says the Christian gospel there, but I believe I've heard the word evangelism used even outside of that. So um, the good news by public persuasion or by personal witness. And the second definition was like it, um, zealous advocacy. Um, and those I think I can get around a little bit easier. Um, I know a lot of people here advocate for a lot of different things in our community and do a lot of great work. So that's something I can get behind when you're really zealous about it. You really believe it. And it's something that you're very, very tethered to very deeply. Um, and similarly, we talk a lot here at East about the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God that is at hand and that we get a chance to experience. And so being able to share in that is something that we do here as a community. Um, it's something that maybe outside of those realms we're always excited to share with those who come in. So part of the challenge today is what happens when we go out? And what does evangelism look like when we're not within the Imagine Art building or in our store group, wherever that might be? Um, so, so that's the you know, that's what evangelism is. And a couple things about, about evangelism that I want to hit on um, today. First is something that Jesus said about it. Because um, as we think about what that can be, sometimes maybe we've said, well, St. Francis says that, uh, you know, Spread the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. So I think sometimes I've heard that, oh, good, okay, that means that I can just do 
this really do great things for people, be very, very kind, live out the kingdom, and then that, then I'm okay. I don't have to get uncomfortable in some ways. Everyone seems to get behind things that are that are good, um, but why they are good is a different question, I think. Um, Jesus says this in Matthew ten thirty two. He says, "If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father." Um, and similarly in Luke 12, he says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the angels of heaven. Sounds pretty great, like acknowledging God, saying to others before men, that, like this is who Jesus is, this is who God is uh, to me. The second part of that, though, says if you do not acknowledge me before men, then I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. It's kind of one of those things where the relationship we have with God is something that we should be Proud is a weird word, but but yes, like proud of, excited about, thrilled to be a part of. And that's part of what, what enables us to share good news with people, to um, to activate our faith. Um, I have a friend here I told seven months ago, if I ever talk about evangelism, I'll, I'll definitely talk about how it's about activating faith, because we talk a lot at work about activations. So I just use the word activate, and I feel like I've actually done what I said I would do for one of the first times in the last few weeks, so I feel very good about that. Thanks, for that. Um, so, a couple other things about evangelism. So, I was talking with Aisha about this, and like defining that who, what, when, where, why, how. We often do those things. And I, typically, I'm not very organized, so fortunately in marriage, I've learned that organization can be helpful. Um, and so, we actually talk through this. And so, I think where, where evangelism comes into play on understanding it, uh, the, there's a section of scripture called the, the Great Commission. Some of y'all have heard of it. Some of y'all might be new to you. But when Jesus comes back from uh, the cross, resurrected, he spends time with the disciples. He spends time with like 400 or so people who spend time with him. But uh, as he ascends to heaven, a lot of the last things that we have recorded that he says to everyone is in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This will not be on the screen. So um, I will read it to you from here, I believe. Um, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, or remember, I'm with you always, even until the very end of the age. It's just like the last thing that we have from Jesus. Like, what, do you, what should we do? You're not going to be with us anymore in the same way. What, what should we do? And he says, go, make disciples of everyone. And so though I think about that as kind of a, a benchmark for what, uh, another word we people want, um, a benchmark for what, um, what it means to evangelize. It comes directly from the mouth of Jesus, and we talk through the who, what, when, where, and why of this. is what I want to do here now, but uh, what is he asking us to do? Um, to make disciples, or to evangelize, to communicate the good news to others they might experience it and do the same. And what I find interesting about that, I was talking with a friend of mine I legitimately am not just like holding names back in for which friend that it was, but it has such an uh, appeal to me that I wanted to share it. This person was telling me about how every time they try to learn something new, and they read about it, and they even, you know, sometimes they will think deeply on it, and they might watch some film about it, they don't have the same experience of actually knowing it until they teach someone else. And I've heard people, I've heard multiple people tell me this over the course of time, but it came to my mind this weekend, wow, that's actually... I've heard many people say that when you talk to someone else about something, then that starts to become foundational for you. You start to actually remember it. So hopefully I'll at least remember this today, and I appreciate you guys letting me learn in front of you. Um, the second part of the who 
uh, who, are, who are we talking about in this great commission to evangelize? And Jesus makes it very clear. Uh, go make those of all nations. So at this point still, we have this mostly Jewish community of people who would have experienced and expected this to be this thing that's just for them. And Jesus' parting words is, this is for everyone. Which ironically shouldn't have been that much news to them as we find in actual examples of scripture we'll go through today. But that's, that's the goal. This is available to all, regardless of place, position, race, creed, what you have done in your life. This is for you. Um, and uh, again, kind of the where uh, is similar. Everywhere. That's a big place out there. These folks are sitting in the middle of Palestine, Israel uh, at the time. And, uh, and he says, go, go to all of them, all 400 of you. So um, we're maybe about a tenth of that. So we can cover at least a tenth of the world from this spot on. That's easy enough. Um, but that's, 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 the, that's what he's calling for us to do. Go, go love everyone with this good news to such a degree uh, that they might also know it and share it with others. The other thing that's interesting about this verse, the, the when of it, is this go. When we actually go into the, the, uh, the Aramaic and Greek, but uh, the word go the way it's used, it's a present tense. It's, a, it's an as you are going. So what I like about that, I think it's important to take from that, is it's not go now, start now and go to a place and speak to a people and be a missionary here. It's as you're going. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you, know, you have to now have some sort of objective mission to a group is actually a scenario by which all of us as we're going throughout our day and the communities we're a part of and the people that we know and love, go share the good news of the gospel make disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe exactly what Jesus has taught us um, and then the the why uh, this is a big key so I feel like it's better to explain the why with the story that I've made whole lot of sense to me when I was about 17. Uh, but the, the undercurrent, the, the obvious part is why? Well, because of God's love for us. And I think, like, I nod my head too when I think, yeah, that obvious, obviously, right? Jesus loves us, he, he died for us, and he, he rose again, he defeated death. Um, but that's not quite by itself. Uh, for me, anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't hit here as much as it, as it kind of is recorded here and it, it kind of checks off the box in my mind. So, there's a story of how uh, my, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Soren Kierkegaard, and he writes about uh, the king and the maiden in one of his many treatises on a whole lot of stuff. Um, he was this Christian guy who actually hated the church, but I think represents a lot of us here for a time to hate the church, but thought there was a lot of things he needed to change about it. And everyone thought he was kind of nuts, and didn't, I mean, people followed him during his life, and afterwards he became this guy that everyone, Christian or non, seemed to find absolutely compelling. Um, and he talks about this idea of the king and the maiden because as a picture of, of Jesus to us. And he says, you know, imagine once there was this king. And this king, picture such, close your eyes really fast. Think of Neuschwanstein in Germany or think of some place. But really, close, close your eyes and imagine. Imagine a king. Um, and I can see if you're not doing this, so please. Um, there's only like 40 of you. Um, imagine this king as this kingdom. And this kingdom is such that people don't even utter a bad word about it because of the strength and power of this king, because of the goodness of this king. Um, and he's of such power um, that he's respected and, and admired by everyone. And now imagine there's this maiden. This king comes across this maiden. She is the, of the lowliest parts of, of his kingdom or within, within the world. 
and, and he loves this maiden so much. Uh, he sees her, and he, and, he, and he loves her so much. But he knows that if he was to actually go to her as the character, invite her to this palace, um, she'd be awestruck. She'd be overwhelmed by the, the majesty and the glory of this place and everything she's heard of. And oh, by the way, economically, financially, you, you can keep them closed, you can kind of open them. I'm sorry, I'm making it one kind of math, but it's helpful to me sometimes to imagine. Um, if I can teach Lucia to imagine. Um, so so she, he knows if he invites her to the kingdom, to the castle, the place, she'll be, she'll be awestruck. The people around her, and he, says, I, and he declares his love for her, she will obviously, by virtue of position, by virtue of being overwhelmed by this, by virtue of this, how, how can you, she's going to say yes. You know, there's even goofy you know, high school-ish romantic comedies. It's like when the, the jock person, the king is not the jock, by the way, but, but this guy comes up, oh, you, you have to go to the prom with him. Like, you know, this is like way beyond that. So, but he knows this, and he knows that if he wants to actually find love, which is full, full divine love, full, full equality with the beloved, he can't do something that she chooses to do because of position. It has to be something that's true and real and, and an equal spot between both of them. We know this, right? We know this if we experience even an inkling of this love that's discussed here in Scripture. So that's one scenario. But the second is, well, what if he goes to her? What if he takes off all this stuff and he, he, he disguises himself and he goes to her in her place where she's at? And even then, though, your guard described, there's no way once she figures out who he is, and once he still is the king, that at some point she's going to recognize, oh my gosh, look, look at all of this is I have to I have to say yes. Like he's he's still the king. He has disguised himself, but he's still the king. And he still gets to go back to the castle and all this stuff. So he's actually not taking the true journey of love to this maiden. And she, once she knows this, is still going to be so it's a bit philosophical, but you get the drift. Um, she actually has to, when she knows this, still has this overwhelming sense of like, well, I have to respond. I have to respond. I mean, of course, like this is the king. And so the scenario that Kierkegaard described, this is the why for us understanding who Jesus is. And we talked through this in Philippians, I think it was maybe a month ago, but Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, you know, Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made human likeness. Um, it talks about how you become obedient unto death and death on the cross. And therefore, you know, God lifted him up and made his name above all names, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord of all. Um, this is the scenario for the king, is that he actually has to renounce his crown and risk everything. That's something that we miss in the gospel, too, is that, is that if Jesus, Jesus is tempted like us, he comes here, but he has to renounce the crown. Whatever the gap is between eternity and here, it's quite larger than my arm to finger here. Um, we can't comprehend that kind of love. We have to kind of chuckle about it because we don't know what that is. That's, that's insane. But that's the level to which God comes to each of us uh, in Christ and says, no, I've actually given up heaven and earth and all the power that is there to risk everything for you. And that means when he's tempted, he is true, he sees he's God, but he is truly man. And what that means is that one step incorrect, one moment of pride or evil or sin or something is shattered. And you don't go back. It's it's an absolute, you know, 
It's a suicide mission of love. And that's the beauty of the why for what the Great Commission is. When Jesus says that to us, those that are there and those that receive it even today, when we recognize the fact that the king actually does say, no longer will I be the king, but I will become the lowliest so that this maiden that I love, each one of us, in case you haven't figured that part of it out yet, um, each one of us can actually respond to Jesus as we are. And the equality, because he wants for us to be lifted up back with him uh, in glory. And that's the kind of love that I think um, we all aspire to see, and we probably have thought back, if we're really, really honest with ourselves, we've probably experienced a few different times. Uh, but it's deeper than just security, and it's deeper than just um, comfort, or it's deeper than just a momentary joy. But Jesus' life is an entire suicide rescue mission from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Um, and it's not just a Christmas that we can remember that and what that means for our loving relationship with our God. So, so that's the why of the Great Commission. And the why of evangelism. Why? Because that, in our hearts, says this is actually about a love that doesn't actually exist apart from God. We don't know anyone who has who scaled down those heights um, for us. And so what do we do? What we, we tell others. But I think that's, that's where the gap comes in, I think, for, for most of us, if we're honest. Certainly for me. Because I want to tell people about what Jesus has done. But I get, I get caught up in Say the minutia, but, but it feels like the everyday. I get caught up in oh, if I say this the wrong way, or if people hear me and think something different than I mean, or there was that guy on the side of the street when I went to school at UT that said something like, you know, Turner, Burn, Romans, this, that, or the other, or and there's all these certain places where you go, oh, I don't want to be associated with that. You're right to do so, but that doesn't mean we stop associating ourselves with Jesus, because Jesus is not those things. And we, and we know him to be someone wholly different than that. Holy, W-H, but also H, for those of you who appreciate dad jokes. Um, so how do we actually do that? How do we actually go about knowing how to evangelize, to share the good news um, by personal witness or public persuasion or advocate zealously for Jesus? as he has done for us. Well, it's, it's actually not too difficult, at least in terms of the instructions, because we have an example. Uh, we have a high priest who does not, uh, does not not understand our weaknesses. And so we go into Scripture and we find Jesus doing exactly what we need to do and overcoming the obstacles that each of us would probably say in our hearts stop us from saying his name in front of somebody else. Um, it's in a John 4, so if you guys will turn with me in. Um, it's one of my, my favorite stories of the gospel. So it's fortunate that I was able to speak on evangelism because of what it talks about. So John 4, and this is, uh, yeah, let's go here, into verse 5. Um, so that's going to be, yes, not on the screen, but I have a Bible here, so I'll read some of it to you. Um, and he had to pass through Samaria. This is actually 475. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, remember he's a man, not just God, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So about midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, Jew, ask for a drink from me, the woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaria. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So I want to pause there for a second, because that's just like this, I just think this is so much fun. Jesus is at this well, he's, he's leaving, first off, he's, he's in Samaria, which is like, I don't know, not just the wrong side of the tracks, but like a deeply unclean place for someone of Jewish background to be. And um, not just that, but he goes to a well where people would go. And historically, we have to understand a couple things about going to the well. You don't go in the middle of the day, you go in the morning, or you go in the evening, so you're preparing yourself for the next day. So when he's to this well, he knows there shouldn't be anyone there. However, there is someone there who is kind of breaking code, breaking the scenario, and it's this woman. And if we understand this correctly, she's coming at a time where no one will be there because she doesn't want anyone to know that she's there. Um, and if you've heard this story before, you might know where this is going. There's a reason she wants to hide away. There's a reason that she wants to not come in contact with the rest of her community. But that just happens to be where Jesus finds her. And so um, what I think is great about this is Jesus is sitting at the well, and no one else is there. Disciples have gone into town. If I still wonder, you know, if I wasn't up here, I might say, what the, down there, what are you doing in Samaria? Um, what the heck are you doing in Samaria? Um, and he says, you know, hey, give me a drink. And, I, and then the next part is like, and she's like, what are you doing asking me for a drink? Like, I see you're the tassel here. I know you're a Jew. You don't talk with us. We don't talk with you. Um, it says you knew the gift of God. I don't know. Have you ever heard the, the phrase like, I mean, I'm just imagining this, but I get the sense that Jesus is so much more playful and inspiring than we typically make when we just read words down a page. Like, you ever like, like people will talk about certain people. It's like, oh, he thinks he's God's gift to women. I've heard that phrase before. Uh, maybe that's just what came to my mind. But, but I get this sense that like, Jesus in this way, like, remember, he, he loves each of us, including this woman, in such a way um, that he wants, he wants to, to, to hang out with. He wants to have fun. He's not just walking around like some like, version of the Ten Commandments that's going to die and say, like, oh, I am he. Like, it's not just, like, it's not just that. I'd say, if you need to get to God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you ask me. And I'm, and I'm sure there's, there's wordplay going on in here where he's having fun with her in a way that is probably disarming. But it's also like, I don't know, if you've ever had someone who just like, I don't know, is charming, you want to kind of play back because you're enjoying the fact that this conversation is going on. And so Jesus is kind of having fun talking with this woman, knowing that it's completely against everything going on. And, you know, like, pause again. He's taking a risk in a very culturally awkward place that could get him in trouble or make people think differently of him. And he's going right into it. He's having a blast. Which I think is a, is a lesson for us as we learn how do we speak to people well about who Jesus is. You have to be willing to be a little bit awkward in, in, in an awkward place, taking a little bit of a risk, yet having the confidence to do so. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here because he's going to get questions. He's going to have people say like, and, you know, who knows? What's, how, she's going, how is she going to respond? We're going to find out. Um, 
you know, she says, oh, sir, if you have nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Where do you think you're going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave, I'm trying to act like I'm her, by the way, that's the whole throwing my head around thing. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Um, so she's, she's playing back. And what she's also saying is, um, we get into this. She's saying, uh, I know a little bit about things that are different than you. I might believe a little bit differently than you do. Um, she's having some fun here. And as we go through this, that's something that I, I kind of keep in mind for me, because I don't know how you guys view things, but I, I get uncomfortable about saying that I believe something that is different like than what someone else says they believe, right? In our culture today, that's a very uncomfortable place to be, or so we're told, to be actually able to say, like, I care about you and I believe very differently than what you just told me that you believe. I want to affirm that person. So that, that's great that you believe in that. That's awesome. Um, and I don't know how to, like, and I can just say, like, well, actually, I believe this, and it's kind of a little different. But we're going to watch how Jesus is able to say to her, I believe something. I love you. I think you're fantastic. And I believe something different than you believe. And that's okay. And I believe it to be true. Because remember, Jesus is not just speaking his truth. When it says in, in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he actually is the truth. So, and that is a hard thing sometimes for us to, to admit we want to tell anyone else. Because that sounds very excluding of folks. But Jesus finds this beautiful way of being the truth without excluding anyone. And that's what's phenomenal about this section here. Um, and he says... Well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Oh, sir, give me this water. And then I won't have to come, uh, come back here anymore and draw water or be thirsty again. And so Jesus said, Okay, go. Call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him. I, now it gets real. You've been, you've been playing back and forth for a bit, and now you've hit the, you know, the rubber in the road. I don't, I don't have any, any husband. It's like, warning, you, you just got into personal space. Like, oh, it, this is uncomfortable. Now's the time to say, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to make you feel, I, I'm, that's not what Jesus does. So again, like, I think reading this, we have to like, I have to stop myself and go, here's where I bail out. Here's where I don't, I don't want to press anyone's buttons or I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Or, but I actually means I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I, I think we say that we want other people not to feel uncomfortable, but deep down inside, we don't want to feel uncomfortable at all. Um, well, goodness, Jesus comes down here and is willing to die for us, and I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Um, but that's, that's the scenario. And, uh, and he says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman's eyes get, get, get really big. She says, Sir, I can see this, you're a prophet. Now, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where, where people ought to go and worship. And so, again, like, i, I got to keep pausing myself, because every conversation you've probably ever had about Jesus that got into a tough spot probably looks like this. You know, someone says, actually, you know what? I went to a church once and it sucked. Or you know what? I met, I met people like you before. Um, I know how this goes. And, um, you know, 
Or, you know what? I, I'm really hurt. I can't believe you bring this up when I've had this experience in my past. Um, and Jesus, Jesus confronts things head on. Not, not in a way to win a conversation or to, to, to beat someone in an argument um, or to prove something. He says, speaks to her the truth about who she is deep inside. And maybe that's because he's, he's, the Holy Spirit is, is communicating with him and to him, and he's paying very much attention. But you know what? He's also somebody who recognizes. If he didn't know those, those things about her, he also knows she's there by herself. She wants no one to find her. And the only women who do that in culture are the women that are seen as unclean or seen as outcasted. He knows that this woman has been hurt. That's the only reason she'd be there. And he is going to her. And so that's something we can take to heart when we think about not just our own hurts and how Jesus has come to us, but how instead of seeing someone who's in pain and difficulty and saying, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't do anything about that. Going to that person and letting that person know that they are loved deeply um, and being willing to walk through the hard things of that with them. And so you know, the woman says, yeah, you know, again, you believe differently than me. You know, we, we worship God in this mountain, but you guys, you know, you say you have to go to church. You have to go to Jerusalem, the temple. And I, I don't, you know, I don't do that here. Um, and he says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship for what you do not know. Oof, harsh truth. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. It's exclusionary, but it's true. He's telling her this because this is what he, he believes and knows to be the truth. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But there's a spirit of conversation here, and the truth of the conversation as well. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And at that point, you know, again, it's, he said some very tough words, right? Like you're a Samaritan, you don't go to the temple. We know where salvation comes from because we're, we're, we're Jews. That's, that's where salvation does come from. And that could feel rough to her. It could feel like, obviously, this is what I believe. I'm, I'm Jewish. Um, but he also says, the hour is coming is now here where all of us, regardless of where we're from and what we've got going on, will be able to worship the Father in spirit and truth because that's exactly what the Father is doing. He's seeking out people um, all over the place. You can almost hear the Great Commission starting to flow out. So when Jesus says, right before he ascends to heaven, go and make disciples of all nations, he was doing it very beginning of his ministry. So it actually shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Um, but again, like once more, she can disarm and jump back and say, you know what? I know that God's out there. And when he makes himself apparent, like, it'll be great. And Jesus responds to that one, it's one more moment where he can just say, you know what? That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great when God makes it clear. Like, one day we'll just all know. I don't know, I'm just throwing out things that I feel like I've heard people say and I've kind of like wanted to nod my head to. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, God's, yeah, one day it'll be, it'll be clear to us. And instead of allowing that to kind of jump back out of the conversation, Jesus comes even closer to her and says, no, 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 no. Not one day. I am looking at you. He. I am the Messiah. Um, don't, don't run away from this. This is the real thing. 
And this is, this is great. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Oh, a dumb disciple, actually, just like us. Um, but no one said, What do you see? I know you read scripture all the time, like, the disciples, and you're like, Wait, that's me. Um, and why are you talking with her? No one asked him these questions. So the woman left her water jar and went away in the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Um, the next sentence we'll get to, it's one of my favorite moments in the scripture. Um, so if you get the chance, read the next three verses. Um, uh, it says here, the woman left her water jar um, and went away in the town. So she'd come in the middle of the day, outside of the town, so probably be a good walk. And she leaves her water jar after this conversation about living water with Jesus. And she runs to the very place she's been hiding from, the very people that she's afraid to speak to, um, the people who have probably outcasted her, or maybe that she's done some things poorly to as well. You know, it's not just, you know, it's, I think we're, we're not always comfortable with black and white here, but we're comfortable with gray, but maybe it's gray for her too. Maybe she's done some things she's not proud of, um, and, and some things that not, should not have happened have happened to her. But instead of letting that draw her away, she runs to the very place that she is found to be fearful of and uh, an outcast from and immediately starts to tell this story. Tell this story that just happened to her, the testimony of what's just taken place directly to the people who would probably look at her and say, you're a fool, and probably much worse things than that. And she goes straight to those people and says, come see this man. And that's I mean, in a nutshell, exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Just go. As you're going, you're going back into town? Great. You're going back into work? Great. You're going back into your neighborhood? Great. Go. Oh, you're afraid of talking with that person? You had a rough conversation in the past? Or maybe you just, this is a hard thing for you to do, to talk about something that's happened. Wait, look, this, it could be no harder than for this one. This woman is... In this, in this culture and society, she's had five husbands, and none of those have worked out somehow. Probably mostly because she was treated wrong. Uh, we don't know. And now she's living with someone who's not her husband, and this entire thing just looks like no one even wants to touch you in this culture. Get away from me. And she runs directly up to every single person who would say that to her and say, come with me. That's, that's evangelism. That's come. Let me show you. Let me tell you. Let me take you to the person who has done this for me. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Um, and so, I check the time, but I typically run way too long here. Oh, there's a message from a friend. How did it go? Still going? Um, um, yeah. Take a picture. No. Um, two things that I really want us to uh, to think about. Uh, kind of finale. First is where where is your wealth? Maybe where is the place that you think God you just can't have that conversation? Or maybe that place that you would say that would be too uncomfortable. Or that person because I always say this this is kind of background. It's hard for me to tell you something that I haven't figured out myself. But I have friendships in my life where it's like, ah, oh, the guy just texted me actually. 
um, someone I spent probably seven or eight years of my life with. Um, love the guy to death. He was always someone who would say, eh, not, not for me. Um, and then out of the blue, after like eight years of friendship, was like, hey, uh, let's talk more about Jesus. So I had this experience, and now he's like, he loves Jesus, and it's awesome. But I had this experience, oh, well, if I just build a strong enough friendship, I will then earn the right to be able to, at one point, tell this person that I actually know Jesus. I don't know, it's like this weird, it's like, it's like a secret society or something. It's like, oh, and then, when it's not too shameful, I will come out to this person that I'm a Christian, and it's going to be great. Um, and that's, like, that's actually the scenario, though, that I, I typically walk through. It's like, I have to wait until it's okay. And I don't know when it's going to be okay. But, you know, this woman didn't wait for when it was going to be okay. Because it was never going to be okay. It would never have been cool for her to go walk up to anyone at this point. She did. Not just walk, she ran. Um, on top of that, um, she, didn't, she doesn't earn the right for anything. She might actually be in, in a whole lot of trouble. And um, this is costly for her. Much more costly than our discomfort for a moment. She might be stoned, but she's seen out for the day. She runs anyway. Um, so where's your where's your well? Where's the place you're going for water? And what water are you substituting for the living water that Jesus offers us? The kind of love that, that doesn't, you know, go away after you've lost your job, or after you um, a relationship didn't work, or after you your, your, your family is not unbroken immediately. Um, all the things that we could put on a pedestal and say, when I get to this, like this will. We don't say this, but this will make me, this will save me from time being. My present salvation comes from X. This is your water. What is the water that you're substituting for, for Jesus? For the living water, for the king who's willing to risk way more than anything we could ever imagine. For each one of us, that's what scripture says. Um, he, he, would, he would have died for any single person here. So it's not just like, oh, great, it's a huge swamp. I mean, every logical spot of this. He came for you, and he, and he came for me. And if it was only for you or for me, he would have come and died. Um, it's more than I did for my wife, and it's more than she could do for me. Um, it's more than any of us can do. And so, what water are you substituting for that? Um, you don't have to be thirsty. You don't have to be thirsty at all um, for the love that God offers us through Jesus. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to read one more verse, but I think that's actually kind of a bad way to, to sum this up. As a, as a church, um, may we be people who are unafraid. Don't let doubt be a substitute for fear. It's okay for us not to know. Um, it's not okay for us not to go or ask we go. Because it's, it's, Jesus' love is greater than that. And perfect love casts out all fear. So let's, let's follow Jesus. Um, let's not be ashamed, um, but rather let's be bold and risk-taking because his love is not just for us, but it's for others in our lives as well. Let's pray. Father God, your love for us is, is amazing. Um, it's we get our minds muddled in so many places um, with so many different things and numbers, and yet all of those things put together don't begin to sum up the love you have for us. And it's truly that, this revolutionary love that we're 
alt that we're chased by um, that you won't stop pursuing us with that enables us then to, to never be thirsty again and to truly go and pursue those in our lives who don't have your love and let them know that they do that, it's, that, that you're there and that just as you love us you love each person in our lives with an unbelievable amazing love I just pray Father today that we would in our hearts not just reflect um, when you reflect it looks not like water but we would just dive into your living water and we would know um, that you do so much further for us and it's available to us right here I just pray for each of us in this room whether that's something that we need to, to read apply in our own lives, or if this is something that, that we never quite understood, because love is a hard thing in this world, that, that you would show us that it's available, that's something we have to earn, um, but it's something that you offer to us, because you find us to be beautiful and wonderful, um, and you desire to, to know us, for us to know you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Help us to leave our, our water jars behind. Um, and run directly to, to those in our lives with the joy of your salvation, your love, um, and to, to be bold in doing so, um, only reflecting the love and boldness that you've shown to us. Thank you for this time. Just ask all these things, um, in the name above all names, Jesus Christ.